Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. everybody what's going on today is friday it's the 14th of december 2018 i am in the mobile studio let's jump in real quick with the contact info i've got the voicemail which is area code 206-745-2731 if you would rather send an email or record your own audio i'll get that out on the show for you either way place to send that is firearmscafe at protonmail.com Dot com All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. Over at the website, which is firearmscafe.com, you'll find buttons for Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and there is also a donation button. So if you're ever so inclined, anything you could send my way would be greatly appreciated. All right, I've got about, oh, 10, 15 minutes or so waiting on my daughter to get out of one of her events, and I thought I'd jump on the iPhone here. And get this segment going. Let's talk a little bit about politics. One of the things that's going on here in Arizona, and some people may say, well, is Arizona politics-centric stuff really going to affect us? It can in the sense of, it was just announced today that John Kyle, who took over from John McCain when McCain passed away, the governor uh, asked him to step in and, and basically go ahead and maybe finish out the rest of the term or, or something like that. Uh, or just be an interim person until they can get some things kind of ironed out and get somebody in there. So if you remember on the last show or maybe even the show before last, I was talking about that we now have a, a Democrat as the senator who is Kirsten Cinema, and she will be there for the next six years. So the way that it works in Arizona is that we have a secretary of state who's basically like a lieutenant governor who's the person who's second, or actually, I guess they're first in line behind the governor. When something like this happens, what the governor in Arizona can do is they can appoint somebody to finish out the the term. And in this case, it would go for 2019 and into uh, 2020 it would end. So and they would run for election in uh, re-election in 2020. So people are floating around some names. One of the names is Martha McSally. She was the person who ran in this last election. I know some of this stuff is a little bit of a recap, but kind of bear with me. I think, I don't know, in listening to some of the stuff and kind of reading some articles, and, and uh, I think it, he might appoint McSally how that would affect us in gun world is it would be at least we would have somebody to counter Kirsten Cinema, who is a hardcore Democrat, hardcore left, super anti-gun. She ran as a moderate and kind of was able to BS her way through. It was a, now it was a super close election out here, relatively speaking, you know, when you're, when you're talking millions of votes, um, you know, it was it was pretty close. So if 
Ducey, Governor Doug Ducey, who is a Republican, if he wants to appeal to his base, there are a couple of people that he could appoint. Uh, in theory, he could appoint himself. However, he won't do that. And one of the reasons I talked about last time was is that the Secretary of State here, who would take over for him, is a Democrat. So he is not going to cede control of the state to a Democratic governor. That's just not going to happen. So he's not going to appoint himself. It will be interesting to see who he does appoint. Kyle announced that as of December 31st, he will step down. And so what Ducey will probably need to do, uh, because they're going to start doing stuff on January 1st, what Ducey needs to do is appoint somebody maybe a little bit before so they can get in there and get the ball rolling. If he appoints somebody like McSally, he may appeal to his base. She would have a couple of years to sort of get her voting record as a, uh, a U.S. senator from Arizona, get that down, kind of cement herself. I talked a little bit about how I had thought that she had run too closely as, as a, Trump, a Trumpite, I guess we could maybe use that term. So she affiliated herself too closely to that. She came across as kind of cold. Um, that was one of the, the criticisms of Hillary Clinton. Now, on to be perfectly honest, the way that Kirsten Sinema ran her campaign, you know, there, and there's always negative stuff, but in general, she kind of came across as a moderate, as a person, well, I want to do what's best for the state. She kind of came across as somebody who was, re- I, don't, I hesitate to use the word warm, but I guess I probably should if we're going to say that McSally was cold. She came across or gave the impression that she was more warm or more friendly. So I think that if McSally kind of learns her lesson, that she may, if she gets in there, she may uh, run a very different campaign when it comes for her reelection in 2020. Again, she is, how does this work for us in gun world if somebody like she gets up there? Again, she's going to be an opposite. She will probably vote opposite on just about everything, unless it would actually benefit Arizona that, that comes up through the Senate. And and we'll, we would probably say this from any appointee, uh, but if it is her, what he, she would, and like I said, you could say this about anybody, they're going to probably support whoever the Supreme Court nominee if that vacancy comes open. So if Ginsburg could be, for the most part, any of the older ones could decide to step down or they could have a health issue that comes up, something like that. But let's say that if she passes away or she just decides, you know, I, I don't want to spend, I don't want to die in office, basically, so to speak, or I don't want to die doing this. I want to have some, you know, a little bit of free time. Who knows? Maybe she does, maybe she doesn't. Anyway, if there is another Supreme Court vacancy, Cinema will fight against whoever it is if it's coming from the Trump administration. And somebody like McSally, I'm sure, would, we could probably count on the vote. The reason I say we, even though I'm not Republican, is I'm talking more kind of like gun world. So we would have another justice in there who, in all likelihood, is not going to um, maybe sell us short on what the Second Amendment means and how it's supposed to protect us. So let's talk about, well, why would... Ducey appoint somebody like McSally? Why would he do that since she lost the election? And like I'd said earlier, it was a relatively 
close race. And I think if he sent somebody like her up there, it would appeal to the Republican base. Of course, it doesn't matter what the the Democrats are going to think. They're not going to vote for her anyway. But I think it would appeal to that base of Republicans, so they might come out and vote for her again. If in 2020, when she's running again, she may be able to say, well, here's my record. You know, I've been working hard. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. And, and if then the Republican establishment would get behind her, then they, you don't have to go through a bunch of primary stuff. Maybe that would work in her favor. I don't know. But like I said, it will be very, very interesting to see what kind of transpires. I think really no matter who Ducey appoints, it will be almost, almost, we can't say for sure, but almost somebody who will be uh, pro-gun. Unfortunately, what it may mean too is that it may mean somebody who is more pro uh, um, spying on us, pro solidifying the power of government. You know, we're not going to get a libertarian type candidate in there. We're not going to, and if it's somebody that Ducey is appointing, we're not going to probably going to get someone who is pro medical marijuana, pro, although we have medical marijuana here in Arizona, but pro legalizing marijuana or at least decriminalizing it. You know, I don't know what we're going to get on that, you know. So anyway, like I said before, it will be very, very interesting to see. Now, a little earlier, I had mentioned YouTube and a couple other things like that and Instagram and all that kind of jazz. I have been putting out a few more videos on YouTube. They do take a little bit more time, but I have been doing that. I I, uh, got the first two episodes of the show, of this show, the audio up, and I put that up. And I'll continue to do that and continue to um, get some of those things. And then what I'm going to do is probably pull some of those off Eventually, I may, you know, pull them off of YouTube as well, or, or you know, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll just kind of have to see on that. Uh, I would like to have them up, as and, and the reason I would pull them off YouTube would be because YouTube would be forcing me. So let's say if they said you can't have any gun content on there at all. Uh, so anyway, I did do, I have, uh, and some of you guys probably have seen them. If not, I'd invite you to go over and watch them on YouTube. I, uh have my AK upgrade project going. I've got a few things that I'm going to try and film maybe this weekend and then get those videos released over the next few weeks and get that project sort of all the way wrapped up. I don't have a ton of extra stuff that I'm going to do with that, but I, I'm i trying very hard to figure out how, almost how to edit and almost how to... And by edit, what I mean is how to sort of in my head when I'm shooting things and doing angle angles and and uh, different views of what's going on, how to tell the story kind of with brevity, but also to make it interesting and to make it to where if you are watching it, you can you can actually see everything and it's kind of interesting. So I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to do that. So, uh, you know. Some of you guys go over there, watch those AK Upgrade videos, let me know kind of what you think, that type of stuff. All right, I think my time here is coming to a close. Uh, So I will pick up here 
with the next segment here in a couple of seconds. All right, amigos, we are back in the home studio. Let's play a little bit of feedback that we got from Thomas, and then we'll jump right back in. Hey, calling for Firearms Cafe. Hey, guys, he's begging for phone calls. All right. I've done it before. I can do it again. Hey, this is Thomas in Salem, Oregon. Wow, what a pain in the butt. I really would like that 380, but interstate law and shipping and all that, what a fiasco. Uh, uh, definitely made me change my mind about ever thinking about getting something off of a gun broker or anything, unless it's just a highly prized collector's piece that you can't find anywhere else. Um, yeah, major bummer. I've always wanted a P380. Um, got an LCP now, but the P380, has. I just want that double action trigger pull. And I think it's a, uh, just a nicer well, – I've held one before. I should have bought it then. Anyway, uh, like the show, and I'm calling to say what I just said. <laughs> have a, oh, hey, you know what? I got my ham radio license. There's a little shout-out. Uh, check that out if you're into it at all. It's pretty cool. Uh, another hobby, you know? It's cool to have a different hobby. Anyway, uh, Thomas and Sam Morgan. Take care, man. Bye. All right, Thomas, thanks for that. Really appreciate all your uh, support for the show and and, uh, you wanting to buy the gun from me and everything, but unfortunately it just didn't work out. I guess maybe I'll give you guys sort of the Cliff Notes version. When you sell a firearm and it's going to go from one state to the other, you have to go, of course, through a, a FFL, and those guys don't do that stuff for free. So unfortunately, due to the nature of how it has to be shipped and and all the paperwork that you have to do, a lot of times it makes the selling of the firearm, it eats into either the deal that the person is getting, who's buying it, either you as the seller are going to say, well, I know it's going to cost you $35 on your end, but it's going to cost me $35, $40 on my end just to ship it. So who's going to eat that cost? Does the person who is buying the gun, do they have to eat everything? So do they end up having to pay an extra $75, $80? Is it the me at the uh, as the buyer? Do I say, well, you know, I, uh, I'll, I'll knock $35 off the cost for you, so it doesn't really cost you much, but then I still got to pay for shipping. And so then that lowers what you're going to get as far as money that you're going to get for the firearm, that type of thing. And and that's basically what happened. It's just too much of a pain in the butt to try and deal with this stuff. Normally, the way that I sell stuff in Arizona, and I've talked about it before a lot, is we have uh, private sales of firearms, and you just sort of meet up with the person, and as long as you think it's not a straw purchase or a a person would be a prohibited possessor, then you're good to go. A lot of times what you want to do in those cases is you want to sell to another person who has a valid CCW permit out here or you know maybe somebody you know or a friend of a friend, that type of thing. A lot of times it doesn't work out. I would say that probably of all the guns and, that I've bought and sold over the years out here, I've only had a couple of times where I thought the sale would be a little hinky and so I said, ah, I'm not going to do it. 
but for the most and, and for the most part the majority of the people that I have bought and sold from have been CCW people anyway uh, kind of that's it sort of a short explanation of that uh, I still have the gun for sale uh, we used to sell them through Backpage out here. Backpage is no longer available. I maybe have to go to a gun show or have to do something on like Arms List. And then you, it's kind of hit and miss because it's, you, Arms List goes out throughout the nation. And then you have to say, okay, well, somebody in Arizona has to see it and want to buy it and all that kind of jazz. Anyway, enough of that stuff. But again, Thomas, thanks for sending that in. appreciate it and appreciate all the support uh, that you give me. Even... A lot of times, even if just sending in a, a phone call or an email, things like that, I really do appreciate it. It makes my day to hear from you guys. All right. Speaking of hearing from people, we heard from William, and William is out in New Mexico, and he was asking what my opinion was on the Jamel Robertson shooting. For those of you guys that don't know, he was a security guard, and there was an incident at a bar. I, I think it was uh, maybe there had been a... Uh, I don't know if the, if the altercation occurred that involved a firearm, but anyway, the police were called. Jamel Robertson was holding the suspect at bay, had, had his firearm out. Now, he is wearing kind of a, uh, a sweatshirt with security on it and a cap that says security. Police show up. They tell him to drop the gun. According to some witnesses, they basically said, you know, drop the gun, drop the gun, bang, 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 so that they really didn't give him much time. Other supposedly other witnesses said, well, police showed up and after the shooting, you know, we heard the police, one police officer saying to that, to the, the person that actually shot him, the other officer that fired the shots, you shouldn't have done that. We know these guys are security. We told you that's who that was. Now, granted, a lot of this stuff is eyewitness stuff. So it's hard sometimes to know how accurate that thing is and I'm not saying they're necessarily making anything up but the memory can be a funny thing especially in a a stressful situation so as far as maybe what some of the stuff that William is getting at is do I think that the maybe the police overreacted Um, and again it's hard because I don't have the details in this instance I kind of think maybe they did Uh, again it's hard to say we've seen there was another incident, and I can't remember where it was, but where the police had gone to uh, this guy's house, and he was living with his grandparents. And I think they had gone off of maybe something the guy had posted on Facebook or something like that. I, I And again, I'm real fuzzy on this stuff from, from what my memory was. But they went there and... The grandparents were in another room. The police came in, and I think the grandparents, the grandfather thought that they were intruders, burglars, something like that, fired a shot, and it ended up striking the police officer in the face, and, he, and the police officer lived. Subsequently, I think the grandfather was shot and killed, and the grandmother was also struck by a uh, stray bullet, something like that. She, fortunately, she did survive. Uh, and then supposedly, the police questioned the grandson, who I think is in his 20s, and nothing happened. They didn't, no charges were pressed, nothing like that. So it kind of asks, it makes you wonder, well, why were they there in the first place? Is that something that they could have done maybe by calling the guy and having him come down or, or 
you know, that type of thing. I don't know why did why did they enter the house? Did they have a warrant? And a lot of that stuff I don't know. This is just one of the things that I kind of remember. Now, having talked about that and and having kind of given those two examples, we also see another. Oh well, well uh, this stuff all ties in, but um, the. Security officer was black and the officer that shot him was white. So there's there's allegations that it was racial, things like that. There was also allegations of, well, maybe it wasn't necessarily flat out racism, but that the guy had a bias just because of the nature of the color of his skin. That when he sees a black guy with a gun, his first instinct is to, you know, shoot unless he gets immediate absolute compliance. And some people will say, well, maybe the guy should have complied. The problem is, in these things, things are happening real fast. People's adrenaline is up. Maybe, you know, they did yell at him, drop the gun, and the guy is so focused on the person that he's holding on the ground, he doesn't really hear it. Uh, again, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get the truth on that. There was an incident, I, and some of you guys may remember, it was a few months ago, where there was a guy who was a potential carjack victim. He was a, a black guy. And the uh, suspect that he had on the ground or the, or the carjacker that he had on the ground was a white guy. The guy had approached him, tried to carjack him. He took out his gun, didn't shoot him, ordered the guy to the ground. They called the police. Bystanders called the police. Police showed up and there was no, they didn't order him, drop your gun. They didn't do anything. The police just walked up to him and they're like, this, the guy, blah, blah, blah. They took that guy into custody I think, I can't remember 100%, I think they may have told the guy to go over and wait by the police car or something or, or to secure his gun in the police car, and I think he did that, I can't remember. But everything was super calm. There was, and I and I, I think part of that maybe had, because there was such good communication maybe in that situation. Again, the the guy who was the potential car jack victim, or we'll say the Good Samaritan, or the, or the CCW guy who defended himself, he was a black man. The officer that responded was a white man, and and nothing happened. So you know, I I don't know. It's so hard to say on that stuff. And a lot of times, it's good why you, when you have the video and you can see how people respond. And I think because in the situation of the potential car jack victim. Everything was calm. And again, I think they had really good communication. Oh, there's an African-American male, such and such. He's got, uh, the suspect is held on the ground. He's got him at gunpoint. There's other people around. There's, there's, you know, communication. So everything was under control and, you know, kudos to the police, kudos to that guy who uh, was the uh, defender, I guess. I don't know what we'd call him on keeping calm and on not making, not escalating situations, things like that. When the police showed up, he followed commands that the police gave him. No problem. Uh, so, and unfortunately, things don't always work out that way. I don't know, William, if that's kind of what you wanted as far as kind of my take on it or, or not. Uh, but it does bring up kind of, uh, oh, and thanks for sending that in. But it does sort of bring up kind of an interesting thing on what is our obligation. When I got uh, this thing, I was thinking about that. What is your obligation if something goes down where you are not the victim of that attack? So if you weren't the guy who was getting carjacked, if you weren't or your family member wasn't the person that was getting 
beaten to death or somebody who's in your party. So let's say if you're you're going out to the mall, you're, you've got your daughter with you and one of her friends and somebody, something happens to where they're getting attacked, you know, obviously they're going to kind of fall under your, what do we want to call it, like umbrella or under your sphere of influence or circle of protection, however you want to say it. But what happens when it's maybe a stranger? What happens when it's somebody else? When do you involve yourself? When do you decide, now I've got I've to pull my gun out and employ lethal force or bring lethal force to bear in this situation? And have you thought about that stuff? I've thought about it a lot. And I've thought about, well, what if we were at the mall? What if we're at a restaurant? What if we're here? What if we're there? You know, blah, 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 blah. And I've tried to run scenarios kind of in my head and think about what I would do. I've talked with my wife about it. I've talked with my daughter about it, about especially let's say if we're in a restaurant or in the movies and if I see something and I say, get up, we're leaving. They know, don't question me. Don't say why. We just get up and we go. And it's the same thing too, where I've told my wife, hey, if you see something that looks really weird or something's, you know, looking shady, let me know or just say, we got to go and we're going to get up and go. We're not going to say why. We're not going to say, I don't want to leave. We're not going to you know, do any of that type of stuff. And I think that's one thing that is a relatively easy thing to sort of train yourself and your family to do. Um, but anyway, kind of getting back to the more important thing of, well, when, when would you become involved and when would you feel that you would have a, a moral or maybe ethical imperative to act? If you could get your family out, let's say, you know, if you saw like a shooting that was going down at a school or something like that, and you've got your family there. And a long, long time ago, I talked about this. And I talked about that. What would happen if you had just picked up your kid from school and you were driving off and then you looked out, uh, you're getting ready to exit the parking lot or whatever, and you look in the rear view mirror and you see somebody there with a shotgun or a handgun or a knife or whatever, and they're stabbing people. Um, do you drive away? Do you drive your family, your, your kid away to safety, especially if, it's, if there's a firearm involved and there's active shooting? Do you tell your kid, get down in the car? And wait, do you, you know, what do you do? Do you try and drive off, maybe get your kid to safety and then try and go back? And it, that intervening time, maybe the police have showed up. And if you come running up with a pistol in your hand, are they going to shoot you down? Because they don't know what's going on. They don't know if you're a part of the school shooting. You know, a lot of that stuff. And I, I guess I don't have... A specific answer or maybe well I guess I kind of do <laughs> so for me I've made up my mind that unless it directly involves me or my family or somebody that I would feel that they were under sounds stupid to say it but if they were under my protection so if if my daughter's having a sleepover with some of her friends and we're out getting ice cream at you know at that point I would feel obligated to act on their behalf but for people that I don't know, um, I don't think I would. I think my first obligation, even if I was by myself, 
I think my first obligation is to get back to my wife and to my daughter safely. And some people would would say, well, if I'm out there, and especially if I'm by myself, I will act. And they'll throw out the thing of, well, all, uh, what's, what's the phrase go? Uh, I'll paraphrase it a little bit, but uh, basically for evil to prosper, you know, good men have to do nothing, that type of thing. Um, I mean, if you don't act, then, you know, bad things can happen. So, uh, but again, for me, especially where other adults are involved, I think that they they had the same opportunity and the same ability to think things through and the same ability to arm themselves and the same ability. Now, whether they were going to arm themselves with a gun, with a knife, with uh, pepper spray, you know, something like that, they, they had that opportunity and, they, and if they chose not to, their life, and it sounds selfish, on, on one way it sounds selfish to say, but their life is not more important to me than my life, and it's certainly not more important to my wife and to my daughter and to my uh, family, extended family and things like that. Uh, so anyway, hope this makes sense to you guys, at least from my perspective of it. Let me know what you guys think. Would you know When would you act? When would you draw the line and say, well, I can't let this go on any further. I've got to, I've got to act. Would it be again, maybe like at a school shooting? Would it be at a, if you were in a restaurant and somebody was going in there and bang, 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 was just shooting off and you can't really, you don't think, yeah, I can't really get out anyway. There's panic. Um, looks like they're coming my way. Would you get involved in a robbery? Would you get involved? Uh, if you were, again, maybe, Maybe there's a couple of guys there and they're rounding people up and going to take you into uh, into the back. Years and years ago when I was a probation officer, these guys were robbing subways and what they would do is they would take the people into the back and lock them in the back and then they would that would secure them time to get away. Now, for them, it wasn't their MO, I guess we're going to use that word, or that those initials, to take the people back in there to kill them or to do harm to them. However, there were some other people that I knew about, and they they were um, that's sort of what they wanted to do. They uh, robbed a movie theater. They took the guy into the back of the room, and they ended up killing him. Uh, so, you know, stuff like that happens. And I guess the the point of my maybe relating that is that you don't know what the the person who wants you to go into the back of the to the back of the restaurant, you don't know what their intentions are. Do they want to just take you back there, put you back there, lock you in a room or something like that? And it gives them time to leave? You know, I, I don't know. Or are they going to, they don't want any witnesses. Or they have maybe already killed somebody, they're on the run, and so it doesn't necessarily matter to them whether they have to kill you or not. So anyway, let me know what you guys think. I'd love to get your take on this stuff, kind of what you what you think is, when's the good time to act, when is it not, what is your obligations, do you have obligations to other people, especially if you're of the mindset, well, they had the same opportunity as I did, and they, they chose not to arm themselves, they chose not to uh, be 
responsible for their own defense. Let's talk a little bit about the poor people in California and the latest gun control thing that has, or scheme, I guess probably is a better term, that has been passed out there. And I believe come 2019 in July, June or July, all ammunition is going to have to be bought through a licensed ammunition dealer. And you are going to have to pass basically a mini background check. And if you don't pass that check, which costs you $1, then you can, I think, opt for another check, which goes through Department of Justice, I think. And I think that's 20 bucks. And that can take up to 10 days if you get denied. And the list for denial, there's a whole bunch of things, like if your address doesn't match up from your last firearms purchase card or whatever, however they got to do stuff out there now. They've got so much stuff out there now that I just I don't really keep up with it anymore. I think, too, the information that you're going to have to provide to the um, gun store or the Walmart employee or whatever is going to be your name, address, phone number. It also has to have the type of ammo that you bought, the amount of ammo that you bought. I think uh, it'll obviously include like, you know, date and time. Um, I think they, they put also the location of the store and the salesperson who sells you the stuff, which could mean for certain stores, they're just going to say like Walmart or some, you know, other places like that or certain sporting goods store. I'm sure they're just going to say, we're not going to deal with that. We're just not going to sell ammo. Um, also, you cannot order ammo from, let's say like S&G Ammo, which is based out of Oklahoma because it's out of state. Everything has to go through a California approved um, licensed ammo vendor, I guess. Uh, supposedly it would be a, it's going to be a crime if you were to go, say if you lived up Northern California and you're like, well, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to zip over to Oregon and buy a thousand rounds of 223 at a local gun store there and then just bring it back. When you go across the border, if, if there is a, a check station, are they going to start asking you, do you have ammo that you bought from out of state? Um, I don't know how you, I guess maybe you were, I don't know how you would prove. Let's say that if you lived in California and you were going to go up to Oregon for a class, let's say you're going to go to like Thunder Ranch or something like that, and you took 1,500 rounds of ammunition and you're coming back and you've got 500 rounds left because you didn't end up shooting at all, and you get stopped by uh highway patrol or something in California. And for whatever reason, they decide they're going to search your vehicle and they find your stuff. And you're like, well, I was up at Thunder Ranch. I, I'm just bringing this ammo back. And they're like, well, do you have a receipt for this stuff? And you're like, no, I, I bought this stuff like, you know, three years ago. I don't have a receipt for it. Are they going to say, oh, that's okay, sir. You go, or are they going to confiscate it? Or, you know, are they going to charge you with a misdemeanor because they're saying, well, you didn't have proof of of your ammunition purchase, uh, you know, so, I mean, there's a whole host of stuff. And I think one of the things I read said it would be a misdemeanor if you bought ammo from uh, another state and then brought it in. 
I, again, I don't know. I don't know what that would mean if you were moving there and you had a bunch of ammo. You know, what did they, what did they do? I, you know, uh, I, I know if you've got certain firearms, you probably would be restricted from bringing them into the state unless you altered them. Same with magazines, things like that. So I'm sure it might, it might be the same thing. They may say, well, you can't bring in any ammo from out of state even if you're moving here from another place. So anyway, since there, you cannot buy from uh, an unlicensed dealer. And they're keeping the information. Obviously, if you're buying 9mm, or if you're buying 223 or 556, or you're buying... 12 gauge shotgun, they're going to have a reasonable belief that you have those type of weapons. They may not know, oh, do you have a Glock 17 or do you have a uh, an HK? Do you have a Smith & Wesson? They don't know. You know. Do you have a Remington 870? Do you have a Mossberg 500? You know, so I don't know, but they're going to know. And basically what it sounds like to me is that you've got a de facto registration. And then there's kind of the other question of can you, could you give somebody 50 rounds of shotgun ammo, a couple boxes of shells for them because you guys are going to go quail hunting or something? Can you do that? Or is it considered a transfer? If they're, if they're keeping track of the amounts that you buy, are they ever going to say, well, you can only ever have 100 rounds of 9mm? And then if you say, well, I went to the range and shot them all up, how do they prove that? Do you have to bring back your cases and turn them in? You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I would not put it past California to have it go further and, and do more stuff like this. I don't know if they're legally will face a challenge, but this is a, a, a thing that the people kind of a lot of the people there voted for. So it'll be interesting to see. And then it also makes you wonder, too, you know, there's already a black market in California for firearms. Will it almost overnight in July, will it start a, a black market for ammo? Will you have somebody who's a criminal say, well, I'll go and I'll buy ammo from Nevada. I'll buy like 10,000 rounds from some different stores, just pay cash for it bring it back here and then sell them, you know, kind of underground and, and, uh, make a fortune. So who knows? All right. Well, I think, I think I'm going to draw it to a close. Hopefully I haven't rambled on too much, but let me know what you guys think about some of the stuff we're talking about. And, uh, I'd love to hear from you guys. And I think that is going to be it. Like I said, I, uh, there's something I, I wanted to something else I wanted to talk about, but I just can't think of it right now. Oh well. Alright guys, I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>